0: This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Streetwise Podcast, an extension of the Pitch in Kansas City. I'm the editor in chief of the Pitch and the host of this show, Mr. Brock Wilbur. How are you all out there? Wonderful. I am so glad to hear it. We are taking off on vacation. We just sent the latest issue of the magazine off to press. My wife has gone to Los Angeles to see family, and I, along with the rest of the staff, are about to take two weeks off. That's right. The magazine, the website, the newsletters, all sort of taking a break here because we have had... A time. I want to say that we've had a, a rough couple of months, but really it's been the last two years of just trying every single day to power through what we were doing, and we decided, uh, you know what? Christmas break. Christmas break for everyone. Um, so I don't know. I hope that you guys are finding time to do what you can do uh, in, in the space that you have. Um, I, As I say every year, I uh, encourage you to take some time for self-care, especially if you are going to spend time with family, because uh, I think at this point we all know what that can do to a human psyche. Um, give yourself breaks. Uh, <laughs> if you're like my friend Zach, you'll make sure to make a special holiday out of the night before Christmas at the uh, the bar in your hometown where you get to see all the people you haven't seen since high school. And if you follow in Zach's footsteps, Someone you don't remember will come up and punch you in the face. Uh, you know what? That's what the holidays are all about. That's, that really sums it up. I hope that you don't receive a similar treatment, but, uh, you know, sometimes that's better than family. <laughs> sometimes it's not. Uh, so we are all taking off on a break here. Um, this is the last podcast you will hear from me in 2021. Uh, God bless. God willing, if I have to record something else, it's going to be absolutely unhinged. So, um, welcome to Streetwise. Uh, We have no Nick's Music Corner this week uh, because uh, we have a roundtable. Rather than doing our normal thing where our film editor and our music editor and I uh, fill up the magazine in January with our picks of the best of 2021 for our very specific uh, verticals. This year we were like, what if we did it as like a friendly round roundtable uh, amongst pals? So that is our interview for today. It is a fairly extensive breakdown of our favorite books, movies, podcasts, everything that we love from this year. So that's all there coming up. But first things first, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is reading the cover story from our magazine this month, Shadow Boxing by Tyler Schneider. Uh, we are just so goddamn proud of this one. And like... Um, when you're done listening, absolutely check in on both of the uh, fighters featured here, because since this went to press, a lot of things have happened in their lives. Uh, some ups, some downs. Uh, this is just one of those stories that you're like, oh, I'm going to be forever invested in what they're up to. And because they're so young, yeah, it's going to be a while. Uh, I just can't wait to see what they're doing next. So here, uh, enjoy Shadow Boxing.
1: Shadow Boxing. Epperson and Farrell are the butterfly and the bee, by Tyler Schneider. Brianna Epperson is just 12 years old, but she is already the only female Kansas City boxer in history to claim gold in a USA National Boxing Championship. A junior Olympic champion among a pile of additional accolades, Brianna's nickname, the boxing ballerina, is both self-explanatory and an accurate description of her approach to the sport. Her training partner, 26-year-old Morrigan Farrell, didn't start her own boxing career until she was 20 years old. Now she's tied for fourth in the USA Boxing Elite Women's Rankings at 152 pounds and a silver medalist at the 2021 Golden Glove National Championships. Farrell is looking for much greater success following a hospital stint earlier this year, a setback that left her unable to raise her arms above her shoulders for a time. The story of how the pair met and became friends, and how Brianna's father, Courtney Epperson, helped foster a sisterly bond, ultimately led Farrell to leave her hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Her pursuit of bigger and better brought her, of all places, to Independence, Missouri. City Life Boxing Club is hidden there, and so is the key to her future. The potential of the gym is unmistakable, a worthy match for Courtney, who coaches his children and Farrell in this 2,400-square-foot training center under the banner of Against the Grain, LLC. Courtney's close friends and fellow boxing coaches, Maury Williams and Tito Camacho, transformed city life, which they jointly own, from a low-rider repair shop into a boxing gym starting in early 2020. It is here where Brianna and Farrell continue to methodically practice their craft, waiting for the day they can do their part to breathe new life into the sport. Win or lose, the chance to promote boxing to women, who are so often discouraged from taking up such a historically male-dominated pastime, is worth the toil on its own. The first true test of merit for this new alliance between Brianna and Farrell will come at the 2021 USA Boxing National Championships in Shreveport, Louisiana, from December 5th to 11th. Both have their eyes set on winning their respective brackets. Left Hooks and lowriders. City Life Boxing Club owes much of its aesthetic to the classic gritty, sweat-drenched imagery from boxing lore. The unmarked warehouse-style building is nestled away on a dead-end side street, just north of West 23rd Street in Independence. The gym doesn't look like much upon first walk-in. Instead, you're immediately hit with the classic car smell of old leather, well-maintained machinery, and a mystery cocktail of chemicals. The combat sport haven is hidden behind the reception area, complete with checkerboard tile and a glass case with boxing gloves and a few lingering car parts, and through the garage itself. A red 1976 Chevy Impala Coupe sits parallel to two-thirds of a blue version of itself. A sherbet orange 1975 Cadillac Eldorado keeps watch closest to the door. Past the vehicles is a children's car-racing-themed comforter hanging over a doorway. This is the last barrier before it becomes clear that this is no ordinary lowrider shop. The sheer amount of equipment available inside makes it difficult to believe that the gym was put together in 2020. Dozens of bags of various sizes and weights, exercise equipment, and three treadmills are among the vast array. Then there is the ring itself, which sits just past the entryway in front of a set of lockers, and a red couch at the base of the ropes line the gym. When Camacho decided to get out of the full-time lowrider business, he and Williams got to work revamping the warehouse into a place where they could train their younger sons. Camacho wanted to get out of lowriding because he got tired of the long days and long nights. It's less wear and tear on your body training boxers instead of working on cars, Williams says. It just took us about a year to turn it into a gym. After a lot of cleaning, scrubbing paint, welding, hauling equipment, we built our own bag rack in the back from scratch. Williams, a meat-cutter by day and youth boxing coach by night, brought the majority of the exercise machines from his own extensively stocked home gym. The final touch was added when he bought the ring itself from Tidal Boxing Club in Belton, Missouri. Today, the gym serves as refuge for a handful of elementary-aged would-be boxers who have nowhere else to go to begin their training, such as Brianna's seven-year-old brother, Joshua David Champ Epperson. According to their father, Champ came out the womb throwing combos. Courtney was invited to start training out of City Life Boxing Club by Williams and Camacho in 2020, when he was looking to begin Champ's training earlier than other gyms would accept. It's now grown into the ring of choice for Courtney's athletes. The Boxing Ballerina On any given weekday around 4pm, Brianna will be at City Life Boxing Club starting her footwork drills. She sets everything up on her own and plays one of her favorite songs, Dance Monkey by Tones and I, on repeat as she goes through the routine alongside her younger brother, Champ. He is, of course, wearing a t-shirt that reads Champ on the back. Technique, elbows in, Courtney says. The beat of the song loops endlessly, but is never stale for Brianna. Finally, a loud beep indicates a rest period. Hands up, elbows in, strong wrists, Courtney echoes. Once his siblings are done with six passes for each exercise, they take a short break. In one of these fleeting moments of inactivity, Champ, a natural southpaw, takes a jab at Brianna's outstretched palm. She pulls it back, shakes it exaggeratedly, and smiles. They do a few more passes before heading off for conditioning on the treadmills. Brianna will be running ten-quarter mile intervals. The five-foot-six-inch amateur boxer tiptoes around topics with quiet humility. Though ballet was her first sport, boxing has won out in recent years. The seeds for this development were planted when Brianna was just four years old, around the time when Courtney began teaching his daughter the basics of self-defense, something he'd decided he would do long before Brianna could even walk. She continued with ballet in addition to these lessons, but her careful footwork and attention to detail transferred spectacularly to the boxing ring. By 2020, the boxing ballerina had already become the 2020 USA national champion, in addition to earning titles at the 2019 Junior Olympics, the 2019 Eastern Qualifier, and the 2018 Regional Silver Glove Championships. In 2028, Brianna hopes to add an Olympic medal to that arsenal. The secret to her success lies partly in her natural, calm demeanor, which lends itself favorably to boxing's bedrock strategy, hit and don't get hit. She's so laid back sometimes she almost looks lazy, but she is a quiet assassin, says Gortney. It might look to some like she's not working, but she's really just calculating, trying to stay two steps ahead. Brianna owes much of her success to this methodical approach. She has a keen understanding of the Philly shell, a defensive style employed by the likes of Floyd Mayweather Jr. that trades some of its defense in pursuit of quick counterpunches launched off of evasive footwork. I'll have one arm down, one hand up, and be blocking those shots coming to the head, Brianna demonstrates, so I'm more of the calm, relaxed style, but Morgan has been teaching me how to get more aggressive when I need to. It's probably one of my biggest strengths because I know I can just stay in the pocket and they tire themselves out. This deliberateness is carried over to her interests outside of the gym. Sometimes on her lunch breaks, Brianna will strum some of James Brown's I Feel Good on her bass guitar. Her skills trend toward the fine-tuned precision she also displays in a match. Courtney was intensely passionate about boxing from a young age and has also been known to play the bass from time to time, like father, like daughter, as it were. Boxing was my first love, always, Courtney says. He gravitated towards interscholastic sports after his father exited his early life. It was four or five years ago when he had been making trips to compare local boxing teams. Brianna remembers her eyes lighting up when she heard this. I said, oh, hey, so can I go? Brianna recalls. I had just been sparring with my dad. I went up to him at some point and said... When am I going to be able to box anybody else? When I finally had my first fight, I remember I was so excited. I had these little tiny jitterbugs. The moment I stepped in the ring, I knew it was where I belonged. The Heartbreaker Farrell spent much of 2020 working in a Tulsa COVID-19 clinic, for which she was named a Hero of the World by the World Boxing Council and the 2020 Heroine of the Year by Boxing Meets Beauty. After clocking out each day, she'd go home to help care for her sister, who was undergoing cancer treatment. Farrell spent that early winter training in preparation for the 2020 USA National Championships, originally scheduled for the first week of December 2020. Around the same time the news broke that the event had been officially postponed to March 25, 2021, Farrell was dealing with some serious pains that she initially thought were an athletic injury. I waited out going into the hospital, and by that time I did, I couldn't raise my arms or my head and could barely walk. I went and did blood work with my primary care doctor, and the next day he said I needed to go to the emergency room, Farrell says. Upon entering the hospital, Farrell was in a septic state. Tissue on her pelvis had been riddled by staph infection. With the staph already well entrenched in her bloodstream, the medical team elected for removal via surgery. It wasn't in any of my organs, but they said if it had gone into my heart and they didn't treat it, then it would have been fatal, says Farrell. I was on a pick line of antibiotics for six weeks, and after that, I started physical therapy. She was forced to sit out the 2020 championships as she recovered first for two weeks in a hospital bed, followed by three months of near-constant bed rest. It was during this point that Farrell decided that her eventual return should coincide with a move she'd been contemplating for a while. As she recovered, Farrell felt the urge to uproot her life in favor of doing something new and exciting. In doing so, she made what may have been one of the most important decisions of her life, moving to KC. We went down to Tulsa when she got out of the hospital just to hang out, Courtney says. It was then that I just started dropping hints like, If you don't have anywhere else to be, just come on up. We'd already established a relationship and had been traveling to spar with her for a while. Returning to boxing did not come easy to Farrell. I remember starting the drive, and I couldn't even run yet. My joints would pop and crack, and I still had a very limited range of motion, Farrell says, raising her arms above her head. If I even did this, I would cry. Farrell initially got her start in Oklahoma City's Western Avenue boxing gym while working towards her degree in business management from the University of Central Oklahoma. An experienced goalie and striker in soccer, Farrell chose not to pursue the sport collegiately. She didn't find boxing until her then boyfriend urged her to come out and try it at an OKC gym. He was not very good. Farrell, on the other hand, found that she thrived with a pair of gloves on. She stayed with boxing, but not the relationship, and thus the Heartbreaker moniker was born. Farrell's debut came in 2016. Since then, she's won 14 of the 19 elite-level fights on her resume. After graduating, Farrell made the move back to Tulsa, where she bounced around several gyms and decided to really give the sport the old post-collegiate try. I had two fights while I was in college, but then I was like, I need to focus on school and stuff. But I still stayed in the gym, Farrell says. When I graduated in 2018, I was like, let me see where I'm at with this. So I went out to a tournament to measure myself up and ended up winning all three of my matches and making it into the championship. In a way that echoes Brianna's own relationship with ballet, Farrell's time spent on the soccer pitch has bled through into her identity as a fighter. I always like playing goalie because any time the other team ran into the box, I'm charging for the ball and trying to scare the striker into missing, Farrell says. In time, Farrell has come to quickly find her footing again at the City of Fountains. Now a trainer at Mayweather Boxing and Fitness, as well as a personal trainer on her own accord, she's usually in a gym whether she's paid for it or not. She also frequents the roads, embarking on three-mile runs when weather and health permit. This is what I was praying for when I was sick. Even before that, when I was working overtime, saving money, knowing I needed to move out of Tulsa if I wanted to really take this seriously. As a female and being 25 at the time, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it right now, Farrell says. The 5'7'' pulverizer looks to December's USA Championship as a chance to emerge from these immense setbacks as a much more disciplined boxer with a whole new batch of tricks up her sleeve. Sisterhood of the Traveling Gloves Once Farrell was cleared to start training at full capacity, her and Brianna's budding relationship as teammates, sparring partners, close friends, and confidants continued to grow. It didn't take very long for the many benefits of this new sisterhood to show. Both of us have kind of opposite fighting styles. We're rough on each other, not negatively, but positively, Brianna says. I can feed off of her energy. She gets excited and will start singing and dancing in the middle of a competition. Farrell calls Brianna slick. Their fighting styles match their personalities, Brianna is regarded as a more of a laid-back type of person, Courtney says. You know, Farrell has some of that too, but she's more about making her opponents do what she wants them to do, and then I'm going to beat you up. The three then share a laugh that can only be had amongst a group that has seen such things occur one too many times. Farrell summarizes the relationship with simplicity and unwavering sincerity. What one brings to the table, the other one compliments. Even before they sparred together, the two impressed each other with their prowess in the ring. I had seen her at all these tournaments, and she was so technically sound, beating up all these little boys flawlessly, Farrell says. Her technique is definitely there, and so she sharpens me up with that. Brianna now has a positive role model in the mix, and Farrell now has a new home and a new gym from which she can launch her post-pandemic career with some fancy footwork added to her arsenal. Just how far they will go with their ambitions remains to be seen, but each of their prospects are immeasurably better for training with each other. Being able to share in and sympathize with each other through wins, losses, streaks, and setbacks has inevitably made them stronger. A Championship Mindset Women's boxing around here is not very popular. Both men and women's boxing aren't as popular in general, says Brianna. We have a few gyms around here, but they're not very competitive, so we're really one of the few gyms that have a strong competitive team. Part of this can be attributed to the rise of the Ultimate Fighting Championship and similar Ultimate Fighting Leagues over the last two decades. A lot of female boxers have gone to the UFC because they're paying better than professional boxing does, Farrell adds. For coaches like Williams and Courtney, boxing's status as perhaps the purest form of contact sport, as well as the most civilized, lends credit to the theory of its ultimate resurgence. I see boxing making a strong comeback because the UFC has basically flooded the market. I don't even watch it anymore. The quality of fights have gone way down, Williams says. This dilution of participants often makes it difficult to arrange quality fights, especially for someone with a strong and often too intimidating record to draw any worthy opponents. It's a male-dominated sport. You get females here and there, and then once they learn Bianna's or Morgan's record, females don't want to fight them, Williams says. But that's just negativity. Not only for them, but for the females it could be fighting them. You don't know where to gauge or judge yourself if you never go up against girls like that. It doesn't hurt to ask, Hey, do you mind if I come train with you? No one ever thinks to ask. The fewer potential challengers or sparring partners in the mix, the more difficult it becomes to compete and subsequently improve. I actually had to forge part of my entry forms. I had to add an extra loss just to get into the tournament with a minimum number of fights because I only had three fights at the time, Farrell says. More participants, more fights, more opportunities. These are just a handful of reasons why the pair wants to promote the sport to other girls. Boxing isn't for everyone, but for some who do take to it as a positive outlet, having had the opportunity to try it out could be a game changer. In June, Brianna and Farrell spent four days a week working with Win for KC, a group advocating for athletic opportunities for girls citywide. While also on a full training schedule, the pair traveled to area schools and taught roughly 800 girls the very basics of their sport. Brianna was awarded the Win for KC Rising Star Award, following work she and Farrell did over the summer with the organization. In 2017, Farrell established a similar program back in OKC, Champ Camp, a youth mentorship program centered on boxing. For the latest updates on Brianna and Farrell at the USA National Championship, follow at Against the LLC on Facebook. City Life Boxing Club is located at 1125 Leroy Street, Independence, Missouri 64050. The gym's coaches host beginner sessions for children. The sessions are typically on Monday and Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. For more information on attending a session, you can reach City Life at, at @CityLifeBoxingClub Boxing Club on Facebook.
0: Okay, and now it is time for the afore-promised Editors' Roundtable. Here is what we thought was the best of 2021. All right, welcome to the Streetwise podcast. Would you two introduce yourselves?
2: Hi, uh, I'm Abby Olchesi. I am the film editor at The Pitch.
3: I am Nick Spacek, and I am the music editor at The Pitch.
0: I'm Brock Wilbur, and I'm the editor-editor at The Pitch, but you should know that if you've been listening to the podcast, this is the same voice in the same intonation as you've heard before. Anyway, here is a fun thing that we decided to do this year. Uh, Normally, our January issue of the magazine uh, features our editors, uh, music editor, film editor, uh, sort of writing up like our best of lists from the previous year, because we're 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 of that school where it doesn't come in december it comes in january that's when the year starts uh some people aren't like that uh but we're we're of the right group we're on the right side of history um and so this year instead of uh cluttering up the magazine uh, with things that aren't features about cool local people and instead filling the pages with our personal opinions we were like what if we did that as as a round table because uh Nick doesn't just listen to music in, in fact if you read our website he does almost all of our author interviews uh which is fucking wild and Abby uh, listens to more records than me sometimes I think so like this was a great chance to be like hey guys let's do books music and movies all under one roof and have have some fun with it instead of it being uh you know a, a dry list about things that you might or might not like um so uh let's just kick it off and have some fun here. Guys, hit me with your album of the year, 2021.
2: Oh boy, album of the year. This is actually. This was a year that I, I had more individual songs than favorite albums. But uh, I will say. Oh,
0: I'm Abby. I'm so special. Uh, I have no, better I'm, tastes.
2: Uh, no, that's not. That's not actually true. I'm Abby, and I listen to Spotify a lot. Um, I did buy several records, however, from my local record store. So I I, I support local businesses too. Um, I would say my two favorite albums of the year. It's kind of a tie because they're very different. Um, one is uh, the album Welfare Jazz by Viagra Boys, um, which is just, I, I feel like wall to wall bangers. It's an incredible album that has bits of uh, punk, bits of post punk, bits of like weird no wave jazz. Um, and some very funny wordplay in it, um, and also uh, like the saddest country song I've ever heard in my life, which may actually be my favorite song of the year. Um, It's it's excellent all around. Uh, And then the latest War on Drugs album, I Don't Live Here Anymore, is just... I mean, everything that the War on Drugs does, I find just transcendently beautiful, and this one is really no exception. Um, I just have had a number of extremely pleasant experiences listening to that record, so that's probably why it is my other favorite we uh
0: we have an article that ran on the site this week uh from somebody out of st louis that's just this incredible piece on how uh the war on drugs failed um it's time for radical acceptance and i keep putting that into newsletters next to like can't wait to hear what we say about music this year and i'm like Okay, they, it sounds like we're dunking on the war on drugs. The, the actual one, yes. Like, the other one, transcendent. Like, I, I hope it's not lost in that. I have radical acceptance and harm reduction philosophies around the band, the war on drugs. That feels good to me.
3: <laughs> I have to say that, like, my most, I know my most listened to album this year is Turnstile's Glow On. Um, it was one of those albums that like I, they put out a, the turnstile love connection EP and I could not stop listening to it. And it was only three songs. Uh, and then they finally put out the album and it immediately just kept getting played and played and played. And I can't really even put my finger on it. Like the songs are catchy. The songs are super hooky, but they're also like sort of these weird meditations on being sad and trying to like motor through it, which really like Brock is laughing right now on video off mic. But like the fact of the matter is like it like most of the songs I picked for the pitches, like infinite playlist are just basically songs like, well, they keep me from like self-harm. So like, I guess that's a good thing. Um. Uh, but like the other album that I listened to the that I just fell in love with was The Roselines Constancy, which is this perfect like encapsulation of what it's like to live in a college town and get older while everyone is still young around you. And then also like you you could live in a state of arrested development living in Lawrence as much as you want, but like there's also this like draw of like well I kind of just like want to hang out on the couch with you know my partner and watch movies, uh, and then uh, because I'm a nerd the song I listen to the most and love and will like play and then immediately play again and like dance unapologetically, goofily in my basement too is there's a garage punk pop punk band from Milwaukee called Rex um and they put out a song called lost cause and it is the catchiest song i heard all year like if i like it's playing in the back it's playing in my head right now as i'm doing this and i just kind of like want to start playing it right now um and uh because of loopback i do have the ability to do that but i'm not going to like hijack this for everyone else
0: you're uh you're right up of the Rose line, uh, which you- a great one for the magazine and, and I love that this goes to the web because I can hyperlink it here the, the word here that's what we're hyperlinking uh, like I, there's something that's always been very terrifying to me about Lawrence in that way where like I left Los Angeles to come to KC but somehow I was like if I go to Lawrence I think I'll die I know that I left like drug sex party capital of the world but something about just being in a college town I'm like oh this would be so much worse I would <laughs> regret that such a worse level. Cause I'd be like, once again, let's relive like my glory years. And instead in Casey, I'm like, welcome other adults. Let's do this. So
3: yeah, congrats on your um,
0: continued survival.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I went to a Christmas party at my sister's in Kansas city and it was like hanging out with adults and doing like adult things. Like there were dips, there were snacks, there were, you know, batched cocktails, uh, Whereas I feel like even among the people I know now, it's just like somebody shows up with just like six packs.
2: Yep. Um, I say that with absolutely no judgment because I love those parties as well. Um, yeah. Oh yeah,
3: I, I I I contain multitudes. I can sixers
2: do. sixers of beer and pizza shuttle in the basement is also a great night. So.
0: Pizza Shuttle in the Basement is the most Lawrence-ass album title imaginable. Is that a Get Up Boys, Get Up Kids album? Like, Jesus.
3: Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> the Whiffs. That needs to be the title of the next Whiffs album. Uh,
0: so... Uh, <laughs> my my three all sort of tie because they wound up being like the three that like, despite the number of records I have in the office, it's usually one of these three playing. Uh, and the one that was the biggest surprise to me was that um drove to Indianapolis to see the Alanis Morissette Garbage Cat Power Tour uh, with a couple of friends that I've known through the internet for like a decade and we've never met in person and it made for just a wonderful weekend. She runs like Indianapolis's best board game store and they have like an anti-fascist policy and a whole corner that's just like games and puzzles featuring cats and I'm, like, oh wow, like, okay like you guys fucking own the city. Uh, so, got there and got to see Cat Power given only three songs as an opening act. uh, And they put her on before the show start time was listed. I was just like, I've never seen anybody get railroaded like that. And Alanis Morissette, I I didn't, I was excited for, but was like, this is gonna be fine. And she absolutely rocked from start to finish. But Garbage has always been in like my top five, top 10, and one of those only, one of the only bands in that area that I never got to see. And so I was very excited for them. And so in listening to all of these bands' latest albums, Alanis Morissette's from last year kind of sounds like a parody version of Alanis Morissette song uh, just uh, stretched out into 13 tracks. And I was like, this is fine. It's the, sound, uh, the same down-tempo drum beat and the same acoustic guitar. But Garbage's new album, No Gods, No Masters, from earlier this year, is maybe the best album of their career. It just fucking rips and i was just like like i know that butch big is in your band but like there's no reason that you should have gotten better at this at this scale and like every song in it is about like me too harvey Weinstein sort of stuff but it's just this goddamn wall of guitars and like just a, a thunderstorm of sound and like the entire drive to indianapolis i was like i just don't understand how alanis morissette goes on stage after this and indeed It did not pan out. Uh, Shirley Manson remains the greatest like stage presence of all time, like just absolutely owned the room. And then it was like, the ironic person is coming. It's fine, we're we're gonna sing along. Um, So that was my surprise of the year, but like the two that were not a surprise and like are just on constant replay are the very obvious choices for Brock, which is St. Vincent's Daddy's Home and Death From Above 1979 is Four Lovers. I, I i i wore out copies of both of them just in the office so like that's my level of love for those two um if you love meth cap rock check out the, the dfa one um everyone at this point should have checked out saint vincent's weird 1970s new york grime album which at first when i saw her in snl performing with black backing choir i was like i don't know if this is gonna land and by the end of this i'm like yeah this is cool new persona let's try this for a year or two and do something else so that, those are mine
2: <laughs> brock did we uh did we talk about uh at any point this year um clipping's latest release
0: we we had brought up the the existence of clipping remains incredible <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: it's yeah i i found late in the year i found wriggle uh and i have listened to the lead track wriggle a lot <laughs> frequently it is i think up there with body and blood as my favorite song of theirs currently so if somebody
0: doesn't know what clipping is can you tell them because there's I, a, I can. a there's a good hook on this one yeah
2: so uh clipping is uh a hip-hop
0: Noise rap,
2: noise rap experimental, yes. Uh, trio led by David Diggs, who does all the rapping. Um, and all of the music is made up of just loops and clips that are spliced together and put together in such a way that, like, there's definitely a rhythm to it. Um, it's always a kind of frightening rhythm. It's excellent Halloween music. I cannot recommend listening to clipping throughout the month of October enough. Um, it's very uh, haunted. It's often, very sci-fi,
0: but also like a lot of yes. people found their way because they were like, "Oh, it's the Hamilton guy. Let's see what his yeah, band is. Yeah, it's the Hamilton like, guy. And, um, like, and, and oh I
2: no. and I think um, my, my actually my first experience uh, of clipping as a group was that they did a track for uh, an episode of This American Life, which was an Afrofuturist. Um, I think movement like there are three movements of a single piece um, which was super interesting but it's definitely not on the level of what they usually produce which is like horror core so uh, yeah I, I enjoy them a lot uh, there's a lot of just amazing relentless rapping uh, and Riggle is uh, I think some supreme body horror stuff uh, in addition to all of the other things that they normally do which is great um, I love it a lot. I this
0: one out as a curveball uh for both of you favorite live show you got to this year because we got to some we got to a few
2: (laughs) oh gosh i got to i think actually one concert this year and that was nick Lowe, and that was fine by me that's that's a great (sighs) that's a great if you're gonna do one in an entire year that's not a bad one
3: the group love show i think my review sort of speaks for itself in terms of just like how like this was great like I wasn't expecting it to be great but it was great but honestly like
1: my your, your
0: review of that is one of my favorite things that you wrote all year because like in a, if you're around music you're like I've heard group love is a fun show and you a seasoned music journalist were just like fuck I am floored by what happened last night and it was fun and I haven't had fun in forever like it it's just such a human piece
3: (laughs) but the best i would say like the performance that i enjoyed most was i went and saw um frightened stag uh who's a new group here in lawrence that have been around for like a year they're new ish um That has Jeff from Dracar's sauna in it. And uh, uh, along with like a, a murderers row of other great local musicians and like all of their original stuff is great as one would expect, but it was just like a perfect like fall evening on the replay patio, hanging out with friends, drinking beer. And then they started playing I'm going down by Bruce Springsteen. And I think I'm entering a new Springsteen phase because of just hearing that cover.
0: I, uh, my mind definitely goes to, uh, there, there was a whole series of shows here, um, and, and Nick and Abby got to witness you have a uh, goddamn meltdown around them. Uh, but like I had reserved seats at one of our finest venues. And then within a week or even a couple of days before some of these shows in August and September, they announced, Hey, everyone's uh, reserved seats are now for a different venue that's outdoors in the mud and it's all general admission and no one gets a refund. Uh, And for at least one of those shows, the uh, Wilco Sleater Kitty, uh, it was just plagued by one of the biggest storms of the year. So both bands played like three songs so that no one had to be refunded for like them not performing, uh, which is my favorite asshole move of all time. Um, But like they did that to St. Vincent and that was still a great concert. Uh, My favorite that went the way it was supposed to uh, was seeing the Foo Fighters at whatever Sandstone is called now, Um, because on the way out of a show that was just nothing but uplifting tracks from start to finish, I got into my car and drove home and got out and looked down, and my white Adidas shoe was completely red. I had managed to step on a piece of glass and uh, severed one of my toes and had to recover from that for like a month. Um, and was just like, uh, you know what? Totally worth it to see Dave Grohl for two and a half hours Uh, and just uh, learn to fly, feel okay uh, around other people, everyone high-fiving and just like, yeah, we made it through. And we absolutely have not made it through anything. Things have only gotten worse in the Twitter again, but like there was this brief moment that everything felt like maybe we'd won and that's got to be that. And that's when I
2: cut my toe off
0: uh, on somebody's broken glass. So like, sure, why not? (laughs)
2: Are you down a toe or did your toe get reattached? Uh,
0: I It wasn't fully off, but it did manage to fill my shoe with blood, uh, which Ugh. is now a thing that like I, I, I wake up sometimes at night and like now take my sock off to make sure that all the toes are there. Much yes. like, uh, like Ron on Parks and Rec, I have the toes I have. Leave it alone. <laughs> uh, so what do we got in the movies category, kids? Oh.
3: I did not see... Um, <clears throat> what might be referred to as film this year. <laughs> like, I don't think I saw anything that counts as actual film. Like, did you see all... some
0: fucking junk? Cause if so, yeah. that counts.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I saw pretty much everything were movies. Like they were entertaining. They were fun. Uh, uh, I definitely watched the Mitchells versus the machines like five times. And oh, yeah. it's such a good
0: movie. Thank it's you. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah.
3: I cried. <laughs> There are three points in that movie where I will cry and I have done it every single time I've watched it. And uh, if folks uh, don't it,
0: know, Mitchell's versus the machines is made by the same people that made like enter the spider verse. It's this incredible, like just out of this world, great animated film, great voice acting, incredibly funny, brilliant script. And it dropped on Netflix with a, with a soft fart. Uh, like if, if it had been a year that things were in theaters, it, it would be up for every award. And now it's the sort of film that you're like, it feels like I'm whispering to a secret club, talking to people that have also seen it.
2: <laughs> it's it's worth noting that actually it has made a number of people's top ten best of lists. Um, so it's been it was it was highly regarded by critics. It would have been released in theaters except COVID happened, so Sony had to release it on Netflix because reasons, I guess. Um, and yeah, I feel like it did it, it did better than I think, I don't know. Yeah. Soft fart is not a bad description, but it, it was, you know, not an unheard or unsmelt fart. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I this think is it, the only I, time I've been in a conversation where everyone else in the conversation has even heard of what it is. Seriously? Watched it. Yeah. Oh, no, wow. no one knows what this is. I no, feel my like parents I'm watched it and loved nonsense. it. Um, great. And
2: I know, uh, uh, church of the resurrection does a, uh, movie night thing for families occasionally during the year and that was the movie that they chose to show their entire church which is not an inconsiderable (laughs) number of people um over the summer which is pretty cool too so like it's it's made some it's made some impact a little bit um and i'm 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 hopeful that it does more i know netflix sent it out uh as a like official uh for your consideration campaign which gives me some hope so
3: it's the movie that i want because the end of the spider verse blu-ray has so much amazing like making of content on it i want it as a physical release purely because i hope and i know how filmmakers work that there will be a full dog cop film
2: Ah, on there yes Yes. Um,
3: i'm not going to spoil this for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and it's not really a a spoiler but it's just like just know that there is a thing called dog cop it exists it's the most charmingly ramshackly, hilarious, like perfect interpretation of like DIY filmmaking as I have ever seen captured on film. Yeah. Uh, Also I saw a movie called the estate um, that is uh, that going back to Abby's mention of Viagra boys features the best drug taking sequence set to Viagra boys sports yes it it the song starts and uh as does a lot of taking of cocaine it is a messy mean movie that is blackly comic it's it's superb and like more people need to see it um uh, it has, uh, for those who are familiar with the Hulu program uh, Future Man, uh, it features Eliza Coop. Um, uh, she is great. It features a very uh, great turn by Heather Matarazzo and also the, uh, the first Eric Roberts cameo I've seen in years where he actually uh, like shows up like, like to actually act. And also the best movie I saw all year was Psycho Gorman. And um,
2: Of course it was. Psycho Gorman. Of course it it was. Yeah.
3: It's the the best movie I saw all year. And I keep telling you. Do you like cute boys? Hunky boys. Hunky boys. Hunky boys. Do I?
2: Hunky boys.
3: (laughs) I don't know. Do I? Um, No, but uh, yeah. I think
0: that that's something that the three of us get to really enjoy that like it's uh, difficult to share with others uh, this sort of very special moment where we get sent a lot of digital screeners, copies of movies before they come out that we can watch on our computer or cast to our TVs. Uh, and more often than not, uh, especially lately, now that theaters are back open, they come from some of the, the lesser production companies or places like Shutter that do very specific horror films or things on the indie circuit. And it's always very funny because like, it's not like Dune where we all know that we're all watching Doom that night at the same time. It's, uh, yeah, it's finding out that we all watch Psycho Gorman over the same like week at some point. And then we're like, oh, you saw that too? Oh, okay, time to circle up on how great <laughs> that thing is. So I wrote the re- review on the site for that one. Um, yeah, cannot express enough how great a movie about uh, an intergalactic alien assassin trying to- Genocidal alien. Teenage girl, yeah just a wonderful wonderful dark comedy the
3: best child acting like it's she's it's incredible yeah i wanted to see her <laughs> a, in everything now because it is the uh the the portrayal of like the way the kids are it's just like where they are clever and smart but they're also kind of terrible people which not inaccurate for some children like not all children are great um I know people are surprised to hear that, but
0: <laughs> not all children.
3: <laughs> but those are my chart. Th- there, there are many, many others, um, but uh, also go see Vicious Fun. I don't know where it is. Oh, yeah. I think
2: that's on Shutter currently as well. I, I have watched that and enjoyed it. Um. I, so we were talking about that brief period that we had earlier this year where it felt like we had maybe won briefly for COVID and, you know, we were going out and having fun again. Um, The one thing that I really got to experience that kind of recaptured some of the old joy was uh, the screening I attended of F9, the fast saga, which remains among my favorite movies of the year for that reason. (laughs) Um... And and Brock was with me when this happened, so he knows how overjoyed I was. Uh, it was it was a full screening, um, public invited, and like completely full, packed to the gills. Everybody was super super amped to be watching this because it had been hyped up for like years. And of course, the uh, Fast and Furious saga has its its own kind of cult, and we'd all been pretty excited about it i had gotten into the fast and furious movies over the pandemic because like a lot of people i just had a lot of time on my hands and was like i might as well i guess and then it turned out i loved them uh and yeah this movie was insane and it delivered on so many levels of just like pure adrenaline and joy of watching ridiculous things happen um you know like a car jumping onto uh a helicopter or not even a helicopter and a jet plane a car jumping onto a jet plane um all of that was car CGI. I didn't into care.
0: space yes cars into driving in we space a
2: car into space why yes. wouldn't we that's engineered the fastest. By the, yes engineered by the three sweet boys from tokyo drift which was my stealth favorite fast and furious movie for a long time um and uh the entire subplot where roman pierce is like one step away from realizing that he is a character in a movie like it gets that meta um yeah, it was just, I I had very few times this year where I was just overwhelmed with joy while watching a movie. In fact, I can name three. One of them is West Side Story. One of them is Barb and Star, Go to Visit Elmar. And one of them is F9, The Fast Saga. And I adore all three of those movies with my entire being.
0: <laughs> I, I think that Abby has now highlighted my favorite moment in an actual theater this year because uh, the row of people that we had in our group at this Uh, fast screening uh, for critics went from Abby and Adrian Torres uh, to me, to Vivian, to uh, an intern that we had starting with us at the pitch named Aubrey to uh, Lily from the pitch who had just started with us. And it was a perfect spectrum of the people that know and love everything about the Fast and the Furious down across to the people that had not seen a single frame of one uh, and, and like you could watch as things happened in the film. To my left, people understood what was happening and shouted and to my right, people made faces of bewilderment and I got to be right in the middle and it was the perfect amount of joy from both sides. Cause especially like with, if you haven't seen Fast and Furious 9, um, on the way to the theater, my wife was like, I've seen a couple. Certainly they'll introduce characters and like remind us of what certain things are. They do not. Fast and the Furious 9 (laughs) takes every tiny little character or subplot from the previous eight films and just like throws people in to the point where like one of the guys from like Fast and the Furious 3, they introduce him and they're like, well, this guy doesn't need any introduction. I was like, I, he does. No one here knows what's happening except for Abby and Adrian. And everyone else over here is like, I don't understand why. Like, I'm just a, a perfect level of like, I'll, I don't think I'll ever again in my life experience a film that goes from people having like the deep lore understanding on down to the bewilderment of like, I can't believe I'm seeing lights on a screen right now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, the uh, the the moment of joy that overtook my body when I saw that Sean and Twinkie and Earl were um, running a jet propulsion lab. Just, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I cannot communicate to you. That's just the the well of excitement and euphoria. <laughs> Wonderful.
1: I
3: would like uh, to uh... both for, like, so wholeheartedly recommending Barb and Star because when <laughs> I finally saw it I was overjoyed uh at the the wholesomeness and yet strangely filthy aspects of that film it is the most wholesomely filthy like it's not a sex scene but it is just charming and lovely and also like something i would it's a movie that i would recommend to my mom except i don't i i don't want to your
0: your one gets to transition seamlessly into uh one of mine which is that uh the recently released i'm your man uh stars dan stevens uh it is a german language film uh in which dan stevens plays a uh sex robot not specifically a sex robot Uh, but like a robot that is designed to be somebody's perfect partner and he is matched for a month with a scientist and she has no interest in taking part with whatever it is. But if you, like me, since the guest, have just wanted Dan Stevens to ruin your body, uh, just would let that man do whatever was in his heart, uh, to see him as a sex robot speaking fluent German and just being the most romantic thing to ever exist, uh, it's I I watched it last week. It's on Amazon now uh, as an early release thing. I I cried so much I thought I was dehydrated. And it's a very funny movie. So that's how much I love Dan. Uh, Outside of that one, Werewolves Within. God bless them. God bless that whole team. Uh, The scare me guy for like really ratcheting that one up. Um, The Humans on uh, HBO is my favorite horror movie that isn't a horror movie, but definitely is to the point where like, we got done watching it and I was like, that was a stage play. I don't know how you do a stage play that's so full of jump scares and immediately bought a play script for the first time in a goddamn decade from a play website. Like, web. So I was just like, okay, I've like, got to read this immediately. Um, but I think my, my, my pinnacle for the year, which um, we have a screener for now, uh, it'll be out by January. It is a Norwegian film called Worst Person in the World. Yes, uh, and oh my the god. The worst person in the world was defined to me as uh, a rom com that's very, very dark. Um, and if you go in with that expectation, you'll be horrified by what you find. Uh, what it is, is actually a story about somebody going through their 20s and 30s, uh, trying to figure out who they are, and doing that thing where you enter relationships, you get bored in the relationship, you meet somebody else. And then you make up horrible, awful excuses for why it's actually their fault that you need to break up and it has nothing to do with another person and then you jump and you never really find yourself in the way that you imagined in your head. It is incredibly funny but one of the bleakest films i have ever seen uh and we just got done with it i was like i think i want to watch it again but also i think i need to go to bed like uh it's one of those that i'm just like i i can't wait to like do that thing where you keep having different friend groups over to show them something. But like, I do it like four times in a week just with other couples. Like, no, no, no. Like, I I know I've rewatched it a bunch now, but like, let's do this one. So the worst person in the world, that's one to keep your eyes out for.
2: (laughs) For sure. I uh, emptied my body of tears after that movie finished. Um, It's just, there's there's a lot going. I think you're, yeah, you're right to say that there are elements of it that are kind of, yeah, anti-rom-com rom-com ish um but it's also especially toward the end of it just a really beautiful film about considering the relationships in your life that make you you um especially at kind of a uh, inflection point in your 20s and 30s when you are starting to really think about those more um and it puts that it it puts her relationships the main characters relationships in a, in a particularly sad light but um, it just I don't know it makes you think and appreciate a lot about the experiences that make up your life um, even the ones that feel really small um, and also I uh, I think I noted this in my review of the humans that's on the pitch currently but uh, shout out to uh, to Jane Howdeshell of the humans who is great in it and is a Topeka native and uh, side note, my mom was besties with her from like middle through high school, so we we've all been very excited to watch her get a significant role in the film version of a yes, place yes. Camille which she is very famous. So. We all yes, know Camille about is Camille. very famous. We love Camille. <laughs> uh,
0: so, what do we got in the books category, folks?
3: Uh, well, evidently, since I'm the only one unmuted, uh, <laughs> like I guess I'm up. Um, like I was particularly, uh, and anyone who's read the pitch and read my interviews with all three authors, uh, by I was particularly excited for what I refer to as the summer of ska, uh, the the three books uh, by uh, Aaron Carnes, Mark Wasserman, and Kenneth Partridge, uh, sort of documenting different aspects of uh, ska from like the it's originally ostensibly its origins but also talking about specifically like in mark wasserman's book uh discussing like the 80s american ska underground um kenneth partridge's uh book discusses like the sort of interesting conjunction of ska and swing and then aaron Carnes just kind of covers everything and looks at it uh in uh Modern times as as well, and like how it's still functioning, and all three of those books are fascinating and fantastic. And I feel like I got it's very happy to discover like something you've loved for well over half your life is getting like historical and critical reappraisal. (laughs) Like it's like has
0: always been a punchline for everyone, and like all of a sudden we have this run of three, and it's just. It is exactly what you would assign if you had a grad school level course in the concept of Ska to take it seriously. And like, yeah, it's an incredible run of books.
3: <laughs> I, I would also include, like for anyone who reads those three books to watch a documentary that came out a couple of years ago that's called Pick, of it, Pick it Up, which is the story of 90s Ska very particularly that hits on everything that's touched on in these books as well as just like... Every in joke, every thing that you were just like, oh, well, when are they going to talk about, uh, like bad puns? There, done. Like it just nails it. Uh, I read a ton of books this year and I wrote on a lot of them. Uh, uh, Crying in H Mart uh, by a uh, Japanese breakfast uh, front woman uh
2: michelle's honor right michelle's
3: honor is it, it it will like there should be like i was surprised that there is not a twitter tag uh like hashtag that is just crying while reading crying in hmart um
0: i've been running a stopwatch here to see at what point we bring up grady Hendricks tonight like that's the only thing i knew do would happen <laughs> oh he's on um,
3: my
2: list too don't that's, worry
3: yeah um yeah no that's next uh specifically the pairing of his final girl support group and um uh, Stephen Graham Jones, uh, "My Heart Is a Chainsaw," both Aww, of which, mine
2: too. <laughs> both of which, just
3: like look at like the slasher genre from like two totally different perspectives, um, and like I love both of those authors. Um, I love both of those books. I've read them both multiple times, and uh, the the deep horror movie nerdery that, Like you can appreciate them on their own, even like, you know, with, you know, just base level knowledge of horror films and like, appreciate them for like these wonderful stories about people uh, discovering things about themselves through horrible, horrible situations. But like the other thing is that like for people like myself, uh, like the there are some real deep cuts uh, and illusions that take place that only sort of like give you this ability to go out and see like how things influenced these books and like where they come from uh, and yeah I, I love them both for totally different reasons also uh, just like the book I think not enough people have read is a book called The Final Revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton. Um, that's D A W N E I. That is uh, this sort of it's a faux memoir like research thing where it's like this rock duo from the late sixties, early seventies, and like their rise and like tracking them down and getting them together to do like a reunion thing, and it is. It's perfect on so many different levels. Like it's it's a book that made me like hear the music. It uh the 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 way I've described it to people is it makes the like the faux oral history of World War Z look like child's play. Um and it's Donnie Walton's first book. It's the best piece of epistolary fiction I've read in decades, and it's just it's not getting talked about enough. Um, I feel like it appeals to like music nerds. It appeals to people who like a good drama. It's 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 probably the book that I've thought about more than any other this year. And I can't wait to see what she does. Well,
0: fucking sold. That's the highest praise I've ever heard of a book. So
2: <laughs> absolutely. Um, it's also worth noting that, uh, my heart is a chainsaw is getting a sequel, uh, out next year, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. My my butt is a machine gun. My butt is a machine gun. Uh, there's a, there's an excerpt of it available currently, uh, online and I wish I could remember what the title is. Don't
3: fear the reaper. Don't uh, fear the
2: reaper. That's right.
3: Yeah. And it's like the opening chapter that will just like it. Oh man, I can't wait.
2: It's, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, also worth noting that uh, My Heart is a Chainsaw is excellent on audiobook. It is just a boatload of fun.
3: Also worth noting that Grady Hendricks does actually have a new book that is out now, I believe that is called um these fists break bricks. Yeah. Uh, and
0: anybody I don't who's have in- neither of you interviewed him yet. This is what I depend on, is for I, you yeah. to be on top of the Grady. I've parent. interviewed Grady like five times over the list. I, yes, so that's Weird. why I don't bother asking. They're friends. He as well. now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's
0: in your phone. Like I don't know why I've got it. Um
2: in addition to uh, Final Girl Support Group and My Heart is a Chainsaw, um, both of which I have loved and enjoyed deeply, um, I am not finished with, but currently reading and very much enjoying uh, Louise Erdrich's latest novel, The Sentence, um, which is an interesting experiment in um, kind of semi-true meta fiction in that it, uh, the main character is a employee at uh, Louise Erdrich's actual bookstore, Uh, and it takes place between uh, mm, November, I think, yeah, November of 2019 and um, November of 2020. So yes, it does include uh, Louise Erdrich's reading at uh, Haskell Indian Nations University that happened right before everything shut down. It was literally one of the last things I did before everything shut down. And yes, it is weird to read a description of an event from the author's perspective that you were at and how everybody is slowly starting to freak out about this virus that is about to ruin all of our lives. I um,
3: purchased my copy of My Heart is a Chainsaw at Birch Birchbark Books.
2: There you go. See, it all ties in together. And she does actually reference Stephen Graham Jones in that novel. So it's it's a lot of weird kind of meta weavings. Um, but also just in general, um, which it probably doesn't come as a huge surprise to people who are fans of Louise Erdrich's work, it is very warm and very lovely and um, just a, a really wonderful set of characters to spend that span of time with and to kind of get in their heads. And see how they see themselves and how others see them?
0: Uh, So I've I've got two here. Uh, The the first is one that was very personal because, um, so uh, for the last four years, I've been the producer on uh, the Crooked Media podcast, Pod Save the People, uh, which has just come to an end because it's time for me to be the owner of the pitch. Um, And so that requires some time and attention that means no more side jobs. Um, But for two years there, um, I was working with Clint Smith as one of the co-hosts And through that, I got to read uh, a paper he'd started that became a manuscript that became a book. um, And he is on tour for that now. Clint is an incredible poet, uh, an incredible activist. uh, And he's also somebody that was a part of the uh, 1619 project which is the thing that uh, threw right-wing America into a tizzy and uh, created this idea that uh, CRT is coming to destroy all of our children and we need a 1776 project to respond to it, all this. Anyway, his book is out now and it's called How the Word is Past. And it's basically, uh, it's 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 got all the things that you would love from like a rock critic travelogue, uh, except it is visiting all the historical uh slave and slave adjacent locations in America that have become like landmarks or tourist traps and sort of examining like the weird goddamn narratives that we have around them or how they're being sold to people or like to what level there was a truth here or is not uh and sort of uh I mean he's he's doing the work of what he's always done which is to be the question like what what is history and what is the history that we are trying to pass on? Uh, and it's it's a, an incredibly long, dense, beautiful book, but like every page of it uh, is is just wonderful to see. And it's so it felt great for me to see it start in a place a couple of years ago and to see it like come out now and be like that's that's it that's um I, I i saw somebody making some fists and now i see a bunch of knockout punches so that's cool um the book that i read twice this year which i can't remember the last time i read a book twice uh is called an ugly truth inside facebook's battle for domination uh two journalists basically just embedded themselves for multiple years in doing um look the social network is one of my favorite things of all time trent resner's score i listen to at least once a week, uh, even the parts of it that are kind of cringy. I just goddamn love what Fincher and everyone there did. Um, but like, they were like, no, that shouldn't be the history of Facebook. Uh, and so they started interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people, a lot off the record, former employees, current employees, people that had worked around all this. And the the profile that they come up with uh, it's it's actually very funny um, because the front of the book has half of Zuckerberg's face on it and the back of the book has half of uh, Sandberg's face on it. And Sheryl Sandberg uh, as co-runner, owner of Facebook has always sort of gotten away with being like, well, I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. Like everyone's like, hey, your husband died. Like it seems like you're like just like on the business side of things. And like what this book does is is to really look at things and to be like, yeah, Mark just was so spectrum-y uh, that he just sort of focused and did dumb stuff and like her job was supposed to be to pull him back and at every opportunity she was like, what if we leaned into evil? And so the, the part of it, like it's, it's the first text to really make her the bigger villain than Zuckerberg and um, a month ago they announced that it's going to be a miniseries on TV and my wife saw the announcement at work and she was like, they're doing a Facebook TV show and they announced the Sheryl Sand like, like who is this even for? And I was like, it's for me. You didn't know, but I've read this book about her twice. The source material for this show. Yeah. It's me. It's my show. That's all I want. The Sheryl Sandberg's the villain story. Give it to me. No more girl boss gatekeep.
2: <laughs> and they please just call it lean into evil. I feel like that would be great.
0: should be, uh, you know, but uh google is being sued for leaning into evil as is amazon like so like i don't know that's what there is that those were my books um did we got I, we got any more books to tackle did either of
3: you read patrick radden Keith's empire of pain the secret history of the sackler dynasty
2: no no um, i did not
3: it's it it is a deep like it's it's astonishing, like the information. It's it's literally, you know, like the Sacklers are very notoriously like very public, but very private. Like their names <clears throat> were on a lot of things. Uh oh, you know. this is
2: I think yes, I have read the story that I think resulted from this. And I have, I have heard it referenced, but yes, I'm, I'm eager to hear more. Sorry. Oh,
3: uh, it is, it, it goes in deep and you just basically find out like these are people who like very quite literally, you know, like came up as a family of immigrants and built this empire, you know, from, from scratch. Like it's, it's a very, it's simultaneously like the, the epitome of the, like you can come here and within a generation, you know, you, you can be wealthy, like it's the American dream, but it's just like also at every given opportunity. These are people who are just like, well, the problem isn't like there, there aren't such things as like drugs, aren't addictive. It's people with addictive personalities, just like constant, like it has been that way from the very beginning. And like they, it is like empire of pain is a very, very apt title like it's a very it's an incredibly de- depressing and sad book but uh it's one that you'll read and you'll get furious it's 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 along the lines of like Jim Dirigatis's Goddess's book on R. Kelly where you're just you're amazed that the person writing it is still like alive and not just like drowning in alcohol and whatever they can do to make themselves feel better for having to like learn all of
0: this I, I feel like what you're hitting on there is the same thing as as what makes my suggestion seem weird which is like i think i like watched three different like sackler documentary or tv show documentaries this year along with all the john oliver coverage and you're like how much more could there be and you're like you wait, wait wait if you have 400 pages and one like really serious journalist, it's it's why I've started like diving back into, um, I, I would love to recommend this one, uh, Meet You in Hell, uh, which is a, like I, I've started diving back into like historical stuff because I'm like, let's talk about who was fuck asses in the past and Meet You in Hell is about Andrew Carnegie and Henry Clay Frick, <laughs> who were two of the richest people in America at that time. And there was a steel worker strike and they came out of it doing that thing That is the only funny thing that happens with rich people in history, which is where like two of the richest people in any given year are like, what if I spent the next 20 years of my life dedicating myself to like a petty, bitchy, vicious, tiny rivalry for no one except me. And like, if you look into the history of the Nelson Atkins and the people behind that, like, yeah, you got some of that same thing there. And so I'm going into the past now to look for people like this. (laughs) <laughs> just to be like, I'd like to be angry at someone who's dead, or at least think like, wasn't that futile what they tried to do? <laughs> uh, there's
3: there's a there's a book that's sort of like a that is the positive, like uplifting side of that, which is uh, Cliff Nesterov's, uh We had a little real estate problem, which is a history of. Uh, I
0: just read it last week. How is it's this so possible? good? I love. Also, this the best. The, the
3: title is one of the best like just it's a it's it's a joke um that is very short uh it is from uh the the comedian charlie hill and it is my people are from wisconsin we used to be from new york we had a little real estate problem uh and that's american history like in like three lines
0: um i i guess i i'd like to wind this panel down by just being like do you have any other recommendations outside of the sphere of what we've touched on anything that we skipped over or anything like video games or board games or booze i don't know what do you want to recommend from this year that you'd like people to look at
2: (laughs) oh man i mean the pitch has done a lot of uh a lot of marketing for cozy grove so i'm not gonna add to that but that yeah i i i I have nothing
0: to say for my game of the year like i don't know (laughs) you spent two on animal crossing and we already agreed that 2020 and 2021 are the same
2: yes yeah For sure. Um, I think we didn't get to mention a song like we, um, Nick, you mentioned a song that you listen to and just dance around to ridiculously and embarrassingly. Um, for me, that song this year was the John Carpenter remix of, uh, Church's Good Girls, which I have listened to like a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, there, there there's some, some pretty excellent, uh, guitar riffs that he added to that, that just... Put that over the top for me, and I've listened to it. I, I I would say more than any other song this year, but Spotify would disagree with you. So I don't know. It's it's up there though.
0: Oh, I guess uh, because- I'm going to toss in there that uh, everyone knows my love of Ted Lasso. I I wear the clothes every day. Um, a Ted Lasso was the reason to get Apple TV for a lot of people. Peacock Plus harder sell. No one really knows what to do there. Um, Uh, Peacock Plus gave us access to Halloween Kills, uh, a film that I watched more than any other film this year because I was going to write about it and I could not figure out what the fuck to say about it. I was like, I think that this is good and bad and nothing and everything. And like at some point I just threw in the towel on it. But Peacock Plus is also the place where you can now find two seasons of the Saved by the Bell reboot, uh, which is maybe the funniest show on tv uh and when season one dropped my friend zach told me that and i was like there's no way that that's true and one episode in, i was like oh shit it absolutely is um it it goes back to the same school and but it deals with issues of gender sexuality uh gentrification um class warfare and is also like so goddamn funny. It's unbelievable. It feels like like somebody really was like, hey, let the Scrubs clone high guys do this. Like, I know that everything that we've recommended dances around the, the Miller Lord sort of world tonight. But like, even though they didn't touch this, it has that level of like every 30 seconds is the best joke you've ever heard. And I cannot recommend it enough. So Peacock Plus do like the free week watch the Saved by the Bell reboot. That's my best outside-the-box advice here.
2: And while you are doing that, you can also very quickly uh, marathon all the episodes of We Are Lady Parts, um, which is a very sweet comedy series uh, set in Britain about an all-girl punk band who are also all Muslim girls, and uh, they basically, they, they recruit a new member who is extremely nervous but also good at guitar and a little more conservative than the rest of the group, and uh, they all kind of learn how to be vulnerable with each other and open up and be cool about stuff. Um, there's a little bit of a romantic comedy aspect to it as well. It's extremely sweet. Um, I think you can watch all of the episodes in about a two-hour span, which I did do in a single evening, and I have no regrets. Um, so, yeah, while you're doing that, you can you can also watch that.
3: Well, fuck it. While we're on the uh, Peacock Plus love train, I would like to recommend the series Rutherford Falls. Um,
0: oh, my God. Shit. Okay.
3: <laughs> it, it is, first of all, I... I am astonished to discover that Michael gray eyes is the, one of the, like he's a masterful, just like deadpan comedian. Um, also like the fact that that show and reservation dogs, like both came out in the same year and are both. They're brilliant and demonstrate. Like, I think going back to what I was saying about, like we had a little real estate problem. Like, it's just like, Oh no, like it, they're native written native starring like native produced like the the cast and crew and they're both great for totally different reasons but like there is something about rutherford falls that is it's 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 a it's a fish out of water story but not like, the, the person who is the fish out of water is not the way you would normally expect it. And you get it from all these different perspectives and the acting's fantastic. And I kind of want to go back and re-watch it. Like, be, and I'm so excited that it got a second season. Because it's just, everyone involved just kills it.
0: They put this joke in the trailer and I wasn't sure why because uh, it's only for me uh, but it is somebody making fun of one of the characters and saying like oh you probably went to one of those almost ivy league schools and she says northwestern <laughs> and as a northwestern grad i was like i saw that in the one minute trailer i was like so like one of your best jokes that you want to project to the world is like an evanston dunk like yeah i'm in personally yes obviously but is that our roundtable? anything else you guys
2: I think that's it for me. We've we've managed to uh, cover all of the good stuff.
0: Well, then, um, Nick, Abby, uh, would you tell people where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your stuff that's outside of the pitch?
2: (laughs) For sure. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Abby Olchesi. It's A-B-B-Y-O-L-C-E-S-E um i am currently working on a couple of uh freelance projects that i think probably should be up before the end of well one of them will be up in january but the other one should be up later this month um one for roger Ebert.com on um the tragedy of macbeth the coen brothers movie which i also really loved this year um and i'll be doing some writing on um I will also be doing some writing on Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley for uh, Think Christian, which is another website I write for that is about the, uh, the website is about the kind of nexus between popular culture and progressive faith. So you can also be on the lookout for that in January.
3: You can find me on Twitter at NuthousePunks. Um, In addition to the pitch, I write for the UK and I guess now the world's longest running print genre publication starburst magazine which just returned with its first print issue in a year and a half um at the beginning of december uh i have uh my ost column where i talk about film scores and movie music and things like that as well as a very lengthy uh piece exploring the history of meta horror through uh some
0: unexpected movies And that's been our round table. Thank you guys for listening so much. Yay, we did it. Yay. Yay. We conquered a a year. Yay. (laughs) And that was the Streetwise podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Brock Wilbur. Um, Please check out what we do every day of the week at ThePitchKC.com, minus the next two weeks when you should log off, too. We're all logging off, everyone, offline, everyone, doing self-care, being okay in their brains, enjoying some lights on a Christmas tree. Hopefully it gets cold. It's been too hot lately. Somebody crashed a fire truck into the riot room. I think we're all done with 2021. We can move the fuck on. I am so... Sorry for the low points of this year and so proud of the high points. Thank you guys for sticking with us, for being members, for listening to this show. 2022 is just going to be a crazy different time. I cannot wait to show you what happens when we, um, you know, can catch our breath and actually do what we've meant to do this whole time. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, pitch in and we'll make it through. Bye bye. bye, 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 bye.